Good morning. Um, so this morning is our first uh, live stream uh, since this coronavirus and um, uh, hopefully you guys will uh, bear with me this morning as this is the first time that, uh, uh, well, it's not the first time we've done this in the life of our church, but uh, first time in a long time. And so just bear with me and um, please be gracious to me and, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, this will go off pretty well. Um, I, I used to, uh, when I was at Clemson, I actually worked in the uh, university TV studio and uh, I was the guy behind the uh, video camera. So uh, we would uh, make TV shows for the public television station and didn't realize how difficult it might be to like just talk into a camera. So I'll see how that's like this morning. But anyway, um, I wanted to start out just by giving a few announcements. Um, most of you might have found out yesterday uh, that the city of Kansas City and the surrounding counties came out with this new guidance where basically the city is kind of going on lockdown like a lot of states have been doing starting on Tuesday. And um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the impact of that before we get into the message this morning. Um, as we mentioned on Thursday night, um, we really, really want to just um, encourage you all to um, consider the verse in Galatians where um, Paul exhorts us to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And um, uh, really, when we, when we do that, we glorify God in doing so. And um, so I encourage everyone to make their needs known. I know that's, that's a humbling thing. Um, uh, I was talking with, with someone yesterday and through the course of the conversation found out that, that they had actually been without toilet paper of all things for a period of time. Um, and so, you know, we had, we had some extra toilet paper, so, uh, we were able to take that over to them. But of course, who wants to, who wants to talk about that? Um, but that's what we're talking about. I mean... Uh, so we put out that letter and talked about bearing one another's burdens and and just please just do that. It, it glorifies God when we bear one another's burdens. Um, so also consider others people's needs, um, uh, social needs, even uh, physical needs, spiritual needs, financial needs. Uh, I work um, where I work. I work with a lot of um, young single people. Uh, they don't. They come from other places in the country. They don't have family in the area, and um, so God kind of prompted me this weekend, to, based on this new guidance, that these people will be holed up in their apartments or condos, and uh, they don't really have the social connection much anymore. Many of them. So God kind of prompted me to consider how I might reach out to them, even during this time. I mean, we're talking about. Right now, the guidance is just, I think, through the end of April. So um, so consider that as well. And then also financial needs. Um, I know that uh, during this time, um, some people's income stream is going to be cut off. And um, the government's talking about sending out money to people. And um, again, you know, uh, you know, pray about that, what God would have you do. I know I know in my situation, as of right now, my income stream is not being cut off uh, because uh, my company is going to allow us to work from home. So, 
yeah, if I get a check from the government, could I find something to do with that money? Sure, but it's not like I, it's not a need. It's, it's really just free money to me. So perhaps I could use it to help someone whose income stream is cut off during this time. So things like that. Really, we're in unprecedented times. And, um, and I wanted to just share this one verse, and I'd really encourage uh, all of us, individuals, families, and memorize this verse as a family, uh, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, because I think this verse is very appropriate for the times that we're in. And it goes like this. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And how we can do that is we can pray. We can pray every day, God, what would you have me do today? God, you're aware of these times. You're aware that these are unprecedented times. Um, how can I make the best use of my time today? God, how can we as a family make the best use of our time? Reveal to us um, the needs around us. Reveal to us what you would have us do um, to, to be a light in our community. Um, so as you guys have gotten the uh, guides, um, I'm just going to start off and uh, pray. Um, uh, the guide uh, for our church, our city, and our world. So if you guys would just um, pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you that we can uh, even meet virtually, even though it's, it's not ideal, God. And, and Lord, we, uh, we pray that this time uh, would be short, God. We pray that you would work not just in, in this country, not just in this locality, but even in the world, Father, to to have mercy on on us all, to shorten this crisis, God. Um, God, I pray that through this crisis, uh, even our church here, Lord, you would give us grace and mercy, God, that we would be able to maintain fellowship and unity God and um, and not just our church Lord but but believers around the world God that you would I just even when I think God of the technology that we have today I feel like God it, it's that's a blessing it's a blessing that we want to be thankful for God that we even have technology to where we can we can look at people through through phone screens, through computer screens, God, and and connect. What if we didn't have that, God? It'd be it'd be so much lonelier, God. It would be so much more difficult. Um, even though it's it is difficult already, but it would be so much more. So we thank you for that, God. We thank you for that grace, Lord God. I pray that you would give wisdom to um, the authorities in this city. We see that it's your hand directing this lockdown for our locality here starting Tuesday, God. I pray that you would uh, just guide us with wisdom as we talked about in Ephesians and how you would have us to be a light. Direct our steps, God. 
I think of the verse that says, In all our ways acknowledge you, and you will direct our steps. And may we do that every morning, God. May we do that as a, as a, as a church body. And then, God, just around the world, Father, I pray for these healthcare workers, God. God, I thank you for, um, for them. I thank you for the technology that we have, God, but ultimately it comes down to hands and feet, God. And, uh, and Lord, I thank you for all these healthcare workers locally um, in the United States and abroad, God. And Lord, they need wisdom. Lord, ones that don't have resources, God, they need wisdom. And Lord, they, they are making life and death decisions. Literally, God, I pray that you would give grace to those who are having to make decisions that are extremely traumatic um, and that you would help them to come through this Lord and minimize the post-trauma that they would experience from a crisis like this Lord um, Lord we just ask for your mercy ask for your mercy on this world, Lord. Um, we know that this is being allowed and you're aware of it, but we ask for your mercy, God. We ask that you would turn it, you would turn it um, and, and, and shorten it and um, cause the effects of it to, to, to minimize and to, to, to turn to extinction of it. I ask you these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so I want to start the message again um, here. As um, We started Genesis 22 last week, and um, this morning um, I'm just going to continue. Um, and I wonder, as we have been going through Genesis here, really starting uh, in, in Genesis 12, when Abraham was called Abram, I wonder if you noticed uh, the, or made the connection between Abraham's call and sojourning with us as followers of Christ, because we are in a very real sense sojourners in that we are ambassadors of Christ, uh, of a kingdom that is not of this world, as the Apostle John would put it. And just as Abraham was called to go to a land that God would show him, we as followers of Christ are called to go and make disciples of all nations in a sense, not knowing where that may take us throughout our lifetimes. And may we, as we are following Jesus in that going, uh, be like Abraham in, in these ways, that we would have a reputation of being a people uh, where it's evident that God is working in us and that his blessing is upon us. And may we attempt to put our relationship with God first um, in our lives as Abraham did um, as we will go through peaks and valleys, just as Abraham did. Um, and may we keep an, an eternal perspective, uh, which I believe Abraham did have. And I think that was a key ingredient in building up and keeping his faith strong. So last week I mentioned that this passage had a strong messianic significance. And you all may have noticed some of them as we were going through the passage. Uh, but I wanted to uh, hold off until this week to devote a message just for the purpose of pointing out those connections. Uh, so let me start by reading this passage again um, in Genesis uh, 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, 
here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is just such, this is a extremely significant story, an extremely significant passage that you've given us. And Lord, I just pray that you'd open our eyes to see what you are trying to show us this morning. And God, I pray that you would just be with my mouth, Lord, to speak what you would have me say. Lord, I pray that you would just add your blessing to it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this story is so full of details, and every last one of them has meaning. And I'm going to talk about, um, I think it's about five different significances of um, that we can make connections to really the New Testament story of redemption. The first is the significance of the unique son. So let's first consider these words, your only son that comes, comes in twice here, first in the first verse. That the first time in the Bible that this word is used, 
It's also translated as the word beloved uh, in the Greek version of the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it means my dear son, my unique son. Uh, its meaning had nothing to do with numbers, uh, like this was Abraham's number one son or his, his one son as opposed to two sons, because we know he had two sons. Um, but it's the word that the New Testament would translate as beloved or begotten. Um, we find it uh, in Matthew 3.17, Mark 1.11, and Luke 3.22, when there was a voice from heaven that said of Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then the first time we see this in the book of John is the familiar verse, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that word, his singular, his unique son. So when God asking Abraham to take Isaac, his unique son, this is looking forward to the moment when God would say of Jesus, oh, my beloved son, you are the person through whom I will redeem the world because I have set my affection on you. Now there's another connection between Isaac and Jesus in this um, uniqueness. What did Isaac being Abraham's unique son get him? It got him ridicule from his brother Ishmael. Does that sound familiar? Jesus' brothers did the same to him. The uniqueness of their identities in a sense made them stick out. We'll have an application for us uh, later on this. So the second thing is the significance of the donkey. Now of all the details in this story, why would the donkey get two mentions, right? All these important details, was it really necessary to even mention the donkey? Not once, but twice? Perhaps it's a, because the donkey here in this story played a key role, and a donkey in Jesus' story also played a key role, and that Jesus would ride on a donkey to the land of Moriah and enter into Jerusalem as its king. Zechariah 9.9 says, Behold, your king is coming to you, Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. The third significance is the significance of the three days. I want us to notice that it took Abraham three days to journey. And in those three days, as I mentioned last week, at some point he became convinced that God, or that he would see a resurrection. And at the end of those three days, what did he see? But in a sense, a resurrection, figuratively speaking, as it says in Hebrews 11. We shared that verse last week. He thought for sure his son was going to die, but yet he was brought back from sure death. The connection is that Jesus was resurrected after three days. Jesus said, you will destroy this temple, referring to himself, and I will rebuild it in three days, referring to his resurrection. The disciples had to wait three days, and then they saw a resurrection. Abraham waited three days, and as we said, figuratively speaking, he saw a resurrection. And then there's the significance of the wood. Did you notice when the text was read that wood was mentioned five different times? Again, why do you think wood was mentioned five different times? Um, we're not talking about numerology. We have kind of an inside joke among elders here about that. But uh, because Abraham takes this wood which was the building material for the altar, for the burnt offering, and he laid it on the back of his son. 
In John 19, 17, we're told that Jesus went out bearing his own cross, the wooden cross, to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. In other words, Jesus had to bear his own cross. And Isaac, the beloved son, who is going to be slain, he is the one bearing the burden of the wood on his back. He is the one bearing the very instrument of his sacrifice on his back, just like our Savior. And then there's the significance of submission. I talked about it last week, but I want to bring it up again. God clearly was delighted by Abraham's obedience, but I don't want us to skip over um, Isaac's obedience in all of this. I think I, I just marvel at Isaac's obedience, and it, it really doesn't come right out and talk about it much, but it's, 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 it's obviously there. Um, do y'all believe that I could take on any of my sons if we had a little WWE SmackDown? Um, I mean, I'm a little less than half of what we think Abraham's age is here, and I'm pretty sure that if they wanted to take me on, I might would last for a little bit. I might put up a little bit of a fight, but my stamina is terrible, uh, and I think they would easily outlast me, and I think they'd probably finish me off with a suplex or a pile driver. Isaac in no way resisted his father binding him, but I'm sure he could if he wanted to. After all, Abraham was around 120 years old at this point in time. But Isaac and Abraham both laid their wills aside. And what we're told in Hebrews 5.8 is that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. And so what we see is an incredible picture of the active obedience of submission to his father that Jesus would offer on the cross when he perished. An exact parallel here. Isaac allowed himself to be bound and laid his life down on the altar. Jesus allowed himself to be bound and laid his life down on the cross. The next point is the best for last. God's redemptive plan. Now there may be more several more points of connection, but I just decided to stop there with these most obvious ones. Um, have you ever eaten at one of those uh, all-you-can-eat places like Fogo de Chao, uh, where they bring out all the meats to the table? Well, it's been a long time since I've eaten at one, but from what I recall, um, they first start inviting you to eat the bread, and then they tell you about Actually, typically they have, they do have a great salad bar, and they invite you to uh, go make yourself, a, avail yourself of the, the salad bar. Um, and then they're like, hey, do you want any appetizers or sides, like a big old baked potato to fill you up? Um, and then when they do start bringing the meats by, it's like the best meat. Uh, let's just say it's the filet mignon, okay, um, if that's the best. It only comes by hardly ever. Um, so you get bored and you just keep eating the other stuff until you are full. And, and then they save money by not having to serve as much of the best stuff, right? The filet mignon. So in a minute, I do want to make some application points for us to go away with today. But the applications I'm going to make, they're not bad. But in the context of this story in Genesis 22, they are just the bread. They're the salad bar, they're the baked potato, they're the preliminary meats, 
but they're not the filet mignon. The best stuff in the story is this. What we see in this true story is so profound, it is staggering. God the Father laid his perfect son, Jesus Christ, on an altar and slaughtered him because we have sinned. Jesus did not die for good men. Jesus did not die for average men. Jesus died for sinful people like you and like me. Romans 8.32, which is a great verse, and this is just the first part of it, says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And just in case that's not clear, Isaiah 53 pulls no punches. It's talking about God and, and the Son. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He, the Father, has put him, the Son, to grief. Now, I'm not going to say on the very spot, as I alluded to last week, Jerusalem, the temple, Golgotha, here, uh, we're in this area of the mountains of Moriah, so I think I can safely say that on the same acreage, if you will, that Abraham said, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Sure enough, God provided a ram of which Abraham offered it up as a burnt offering, as it says in verse 13, great verse, instead of his son. And on this same acreage, God the Father offered up his son, Jesus, instead of you and me, to where the big news this morning for us is that we can join with Abraham in, in saying this statement, on the mount of the Lord, it was provided. Not it will be provided, but for us it was provided. And that is great news. It's the best news. Now I could just end it right here it would be appropriate. And maybe it's a mistake to continue for a few minutes more to add these applications. But since the server is not going to come back with the filet mignon, I'll just finish off with some still tasty morsels, but not in the same category. These are meant to go with the connection points that were made today. So the first connection made was the connection between Isaac being Abraham's um, unique beloved son and Jesus being God's unique beloved son. The application to us is that we are also unique in that we are follow as followers of Christ and that we are God's chosen ones according to Colossians 3.2 and many other verses that you can find and God intends for that to be a comfort to you. He is the one who recorded for us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Romans 8, 38 and 39. And I'm going to share this from the Phillips translation because I love the way it's, it's written here. I have become absolutely convinced that neither death nor life, neither messenger of heaven nor monarch of earth, neither what happens today nor what may happen tomorrow, neither a power from on high nor a power from below, nor anything else in God's whole world has any power to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate us from God's love? Absolutely nothing. I sure hope that is a comfort to you, knowing that not only can we lose anything and everything we love in this life, 
ultimately, we might. So as we discussed last week, we must, we must build our lives around our relationship with God first and foremost. A second application is that just like Isaac and Jesus were ridiculed and mocked because those around them knew they were unique, we as God's chosen ones will experience the same. But God's message to us is found in 1 Peter 2.21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. The second connection made was with the donkeys of all things. But what does Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey symbolize? Okay, friends, kings back in Jesus' day did not ride on donkeys. They had people carry them atop their shoulders, or they rode the finest, most expensive horses. Besides fulfilling prophecy, Jesus was demonstrating humility. And the application point for us comes from Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The second application is humility. The third connection point was in Abraham's three-day journey before witnessing a resurrection, figuratively speaking, and the disciples witnessing Jesus' resurrection after three days. This application is a hard one for us that I personally see. Why does God always seem to put a premium on T-I-M-E? Whereas I think in our culture, we just want to get to the end of the story. We just want to jump there. Um, the saying at my workplace is that the paperwork is as important as the product. Um, if the paperwork is not right, it's just as bad as the product being not right. I think from God's point of view, the parallel to that is that the process is as important as the outcome. When Lisa and I got married, we chose songs that we wanted our friends to sing at the wedding. One of the songs um, was called, There is a Joy in the Journey. It, to be honest, it wasn't one of my favorites, but I think maybe part of the reason why was because I'm not sure I really believed it. Um, I had not really been through many trials in my life by time we got married, but Lisa had already been through enough trials for a lifetime, uh, so I'm sure the song really resonated with her. Um, anyhow, the application in my mind fits directly with this verse from Hebrews 6, and I'm going to read it for, to us. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those 
who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Does that bring anyone to mind like Abraham? For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. The application is that we need to be like Abraham, faith and patience, faith and patience, faith and, we can't leave out that second word. If it were a math problem, it would look like this. Faith plus patience equals inherit promises. The fourth connection point had to do with Isaac and Jesus having to carry the burden of the wood. The obvious application here comes from Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The cross implied death, and the wood used in a burnt offering along with the offering itself would be completely consumed by the fire, both a picture of complete consecration of self to God. And Jesus is calling us to nothing different than Paul's exhortation in Romans 12 to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, meaning that each and every day our lives are to be lived to please him, to glorify him. Finally, the last connection point lay in Isaac and Jesus' laying aside of their wills to submit to their father's wills. This is similar to the last point in that they laid down their lives, although they literally did lay down their lives. Jesus said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then Paul encourages us to be transformed by renewing our minds so that we will prove what the will of the Lord is. Of course, the reason for that is so that we will do it. So let me close by saying that these are good applications, and God wants us to strive to walk in ways that please him. He does want us to do our part in the sanctification process as he is doing his part, and we pray for you all, and you all should pray for us, and we should all pray Hebrews 13.21 for each other, which says this, that God would equip us with everything good that we may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. But the best news from today's passage is this. If and when we don't act humbly, if and when we don't trust in his sure love for us, if and when we waver in faith and lose patience, if and when we run after our own wills. On the mount of the Lord, it was provided. On the mount of the Lord, God saw to it. He saw to it that if sinners like you and me put our trust in the sacrifice of his son, the spotless lamb of God, on the cross for our sins in our place, that is to say, instead of us, then our sins forever past, today, and forever future 
are covered by the blood of the Lamb. And that's the message of Genesis 22. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your wisdom is staggering. Father, your we should just be floored in awe by your awesomeness, God. <laughs> um, God, may we just see that this from this story that um, that you you used Abraham and Isaac to be part of your redemptive plan to to be a picture of your redemptive plan, God, and may you open our eyes to see that that why we're even still living on this earth, God, is to be part of that redemptive story, God. That there, I mean, there is immense purpose in our lives, God. Otherwise, you would just take us home. So God, even in these unprecedented times, God, I pray that you would show us, you would give us wisdom in how we are part of that story, God. And as we talked about last week, I know it, it starts with obedience, God. Somehow, if we obey you, it's connected to your plan. It, it fits into your story. So God, give us grace and help us to be obedient children and then stand back and watch as you write the story. God, we ask for your mercy and grace and help. Pray for your peace, God, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to um, <clears throat> close by reading uh, <clears throat> the words of commission here that are in the handout. <clears throat> and um, again, I just want to encourage, this would be a great uh, verse for you all to memorize as individuals um, and as a family very appropriate for um, the times. Um, it's found in 2 Corinthians 4, verses um, 16 through, or 17 and 18, or 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this mo light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal thank you for um, uh, tuning in this morning and uh, we will continue to give updates and and um, and God bless you <clears throat>